0: Alrighty folks, The Poor Hitter. Welcome back to episode 36 of The Poor Hitter Podcast. Baseball, free agency is picking up. Spring training is around the corner, even though there's not a date for it yet. We are eagerly awaiting the start of the season and fantasy drafts are ramping up. So you know, Today on the show, I bring on Phil Dussault and Jeff Zimmerman. And we get into some discussion about the values of two-star pitchers how to approach Fab in season, and also how to catch up to stats that maybe you feel like you are far behind when you're in season. So we also look at whether or not there is a ton of value at looking at batter splits first, right-handed pitching and left-handed pitching. We get into some draft champions, splits, and how to approach drafting hitters and pitchers and positional targets as well as going into some ADP would you rathers at specific ADP ranges for positions and I also give Jeff and Phil a chance to identify some hitters and pitchers they feel like will fall out of the top 100 ADP next year. Players who are in the top 100 who will fall out next year will take a dramatic fall and as well as players going past ADP 300 who has a chance to vault themselves in the top 100 next year so it's a pretty interesting episode there's a ton of knowledge here as usual from um, two bright fantasy analysts as as Phil and Jeff are and with that being said again thank you for listening to the podcast if you haven't got a chance yet to rate the show that'll be much appreciated it really helps out the show a lot um so if you can do that on apple podcast or any platform that does allow you to rate the show that would be much appreciated you can send a snapshot of your rating and review over to me at twitter at dead hitter and i will send you some pull hitter swag and again that'll be much appreciated so thanks again for listening and we'll get on with the show
2: getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing
0: All right, folks, welcome back to the Pull Hitter Podcast. Today, I have some special guests with me today, it's, uh, Mr. Phil Dussault and Jeff Stimmerman. How are you guys doing today? Good. How are you? Doing wonderful. Jeff, how are you?
1: I'm good. It's kind of a busy day. Usually, I'm just writing, but I actually have to kind of keep things moving. Just got done with my uh, chat at Fangraphs and heading over here to
0: talk all kinds of different topics you have for us. Awesome. Fantastic. I appreciate you guys' time to know, uh, you know, everyone's got stuff going on across the day. So, anytime someone makes their time out for me, I truly appreciate that. So, um, we'll get right into it then. Um, I have a couple of things I wanted to talk about with you guys. Um, first topic of interest is using dollar valuations in your rankings rather than positional tiers per se. Go ahead, Jeff. Um, I will. I actually don't go all the way to the dollar
1: values unless I'm doing an auction. Cause you have to have it for that one. Usually I create the standing gains points and you can convert them over to dollars, but it's just like an extra step. So I don't take the extra step when it comes to drafting. I just, um, usually it's like times three. I can kind of know it that way, but you know where you're getting your production from um, kind of with the tiers I don't, I don't directly create tiers, but I know where there's like a tier of players that I see overvalued or undervalued. And you should, yeah, like more, it's the undervalued ones. And it's like, okay, this area, I've got four outfielders that I see that undervalued. I'm going to go ahead and just plan on during the draft, grabbing one or two of these guys. And I don't, and I know that two outfielder slots are taken when it gets to this point. And I just kind of mix and match my whole draft that way. And a lot of times I'm like, at the end, I'm like, all right, I couldn't find a good spot to get a third baseman. So if there's ever an opening, I've got to grab a third baseman. And also I might see like through my values, I don't have enough speed, which is usually almost always the case. Whenever I have an open spot that, you know, I really don't know who I'm going to take. I should probably focus on the best speed option then. So it just kind of lets me know how to kind of build my entire draft. Gotcha. Gotcha.
2: Okay. You can record Jeff's answer and play it again with my voice, and it's pretty much the exact same thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you do it. the. I do the SGP values. I don't convert it to dollars um, unless I'm doing the auction. Um, the one thing I might do a little bit differently, I like to do my 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 mock draft test, where I'll just grab Excel, sort players by ADP, and I'll do three. I'll I'll do three three drafts. Like if I'm like the first round, I'm picking 12th. Then I'll say the first 11 guys in ADP go, okay, I'm 12, what do I do? I'll find the top guy on my board, draft him, do that for the whole draft, do that two or three times um, without drafting the same guys in the drafts. And then once I'm done that, I have like my top 90 players that I'm most likely to end up with. And I just compare those with the rest, with the guys that I, I didn't draft. So um, I'll look, if, if during the draft at the end, I'm always reaching for a third baseman, then I know I should – bump up third baseman in my rankings um Mm. or i'll compare categories a lot of average stolen bases home runs and if i'm light on power and heavy on speed i'm valuing speed too much so i'll bump those down a little bit um because even if i think my sgp formula is great and I i have the perfect data and i everything's great if the market values speed differently than i do then my formula is pretty much useless because I'm if I get too much speed and I'm unbalanced and then I'm not maximizing points so um, right. my, my goal at the end of the draft draft is to be balanced and to make sure um, I, I guess it's not a topic being balanced but it, it's it sort of links to, to my process where um, you want to be balanced in the end of draft so my, my method of doing these mock drafts to make sure my values are accurate in both uh, categories and positions um, that that's how I usually do it
0: Fantastic. And for maybe any of the listeners who are not familiar with SGP, can any of you guys give a little like a quick breakdown or, you know, it's not a quick thing to break down. I totally understand that, but maybe just like a, a brief understanding of, of, of what it is and, and what, you know, how much um, it can help you drafting. Jeff
2: wrote a you book book it, the process. Well, well yeah, write.
0: you could definitely buy the process. <laughs> like <it> yeah. <laughs> um, Now
1: for simply it's, How much, if you take Mike Trout and um, Chris Bryant and you would just basically add them to an already drafted team or points at the end of the season, how much more would Mike Trout move you up in the standings compared to Chris Bryant is what they are, is how their stats add to the total number of points. So um, it just kind of gives you a basis. There is some things you kind of have to know about it. Like, if you've got no saves up to a point, you have to reach, like, a minimum for it to start moving you up in the rankings. And if you, like, overblow at the top, you're not going to keep getting more points from saves. So there's kind of this sweet spot where, you like, Phil was talking, like, you want to be balanced. So each little gain you get moves you up in the points. Um, And also depending on your league type, not everyone plays the NFBC and so forth is if you're willing to trade, a lot of times I'll get just the good deals if they're that way, if if there's just an unbalance and eventually someone's going to need those later in the season. So there's a lot of times if, yeah, if it's not like an overall price or even in an individual league, I don't have a problem pounding nine categories and kind of ignoring one. If it ends up at least get, get me into the, the money and then I'll kind of worry about first place as the season goes got
2: it
0: phil you want to add anything to that or is that just pretty much uh, yeah
2: it's pretty much the same jeff Explain about yeah. well, the, the the advantage what i like is that you basically end up what once you create the formula you just end up with with the number for each player so it's as if you're drafting a fantasy football team as opposed to a fantasy baseball team you have to pay attention to categories but at least you have a way to rank players and make sure, and you somewhat, something tells you which, like how do you rank these hundred players who all have different skills? Um, It's a way to put everything together and and keep it uh, a little simpler when you're drafting.
0: Absolutely, okay, makes sense. Next topic, this is right out of the uh, the process by Mr. Jeff Zimmerman himself and Tanner Bell. Um, this one was uh, one I reread about a bunch of times and it's about the value of two start pitchers. And I was kind of shocked to see how much the starts from lower end like ADP starting pitchers actually um, not much different from, you know, certain higher ranked. So. This is one thing I troubled to absorb at first because I was like, man, this this doesn't make sense to me. But then I really understood the numbers. And I guess when you really draft two top pitchers or have a, a good stable amount of SPs at the top, you can kind of, you know, resort to filling in some two start guys who are not so great. So um you just wanted to Jeff, how did you go um, dive into this data or what made you really kind of pound this and, 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 and want to know about it?
1: I didn't do a whole lot. That was actually most of Tanner's research to be okay. It's, I mean, I've edited, I've gone over it. I believe it, but he was the one that dug into each of that. It took him a while. So um, that was his kind of his deal. Um, in this approach though, I mean, it's definitely, the one thing you're going to get now it's kind of changed from even when we started writing the book or even especially from like eight to ten years ago, is a lot of the two available two start pitchers that you can possibly get in stream are just really bad. So all you're getting is strikeouts and possibly wins. You're kind of gonna hurt your ratios. So this is one thing and a lot of people stay away from that. They just don't want to kill their ratios. And I differ from filling this is I actually kind of target the kyle hendricks um the zach grinkies of the world mm-hmm. because well they're not going to give me the strikeouts they'll give you the wins but they'll keep my ratios low and they allow me to stream these starters where i can get um the extra strikeouts and the extra wins throughout the season so if i get the choice i actually kind of go for the good ratio pitchers knowing that during the season i'm going to be streaming the heck out of um starters but like i said feels on the complete opposite end of this
2: yeah back in um 2018 and 2019 um it was a lot easier to stream pitchers and the game is sort of uh, sorry 2018 uh 27 uh, 17 18 in 19 it got really tougher with with the juice ball and starters staying in not as long so like you said you're getting k's and wins but the starters are finding on in fab now they really make it five innings. So getting like four and a third with two earned runs, like if you get two starts like that, it's not horrible for ERA and whip, but you might be getting eight, nine Ks and you're really getting the win. So um, it they're not nearly as useful. My, my strategy back in, in 2019 um was to grab uh, two early starters and then wait forever and then just load up on on starters late. Hopefully I hit on, on one or two of them and then I just get four or five two-star pitchers. Um, but that's the year the juice ball came in. It was a disaster that year, um, oh. at least for Yari and Whip, um, just because there were no two-star pitchers available anywhere. And same thing happened last year. So that's why I think we're all starting to push up pitchers this year. Um, and yeah, to, to Jeff's point about about the the Hendricks and Green key. Um I don't know. They're the. They, I mean, the main reason why I don't target them is they don't come out well in my system. And I've been looking for a way to boost them up, looking at what they do statistically that can allow me to bump them up, bump them up. But there's only there's so few exceptions that are able to beat their metrics every year, and they're pretty much the only two. So. Like I don't have enough data to say, okay, pitchers who do this specific, who locate pitches in this area, whatever, I can bump those up. There's not enough data because there's only two guys who've really done it. So either I make an, make an exception for those two guys or I trust my system. I try to find an edge elsewhere, um, which is the way I'm I'm leaning. Um, just because I don't have a good enough feel like Jeff has and, and like others have to to trust i guess what th- what they see in a picture and, and know that they, they can keep doing it
0: the gut feel you're talking about yeah, gu- yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> gotta trust your data right but, but like um, even
2: for hendrix and grinky the numbers are there i mean they've they've suppressed their 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 metrics for the past four or five years um and others who've usually done it for that long can usually keep it going until, I guess, they're too old. And, like, has Granky reached that point? Maybe. Um, Hendrix, probably not. But how long can you do it? We don't know. So, um, I, like, I'll, I'll never criticize those picks because, like, I I know that the pitchers that I choose to draft on average will beat their ADP. Um, but there's plenty of others that will do it. So, I, like, I'm not going to criticize those picks. Um, I'd rather just stick to what I know, um, instead of, I guess, going out of my comfort zone. Gotcha.
0: Makes sense. Um, I want to talk about fab, um, especially in like a main event league or a higher stakes league and basically maybe what's your best strategy as opposed to when you want to spend your money or maybe historically when the most money is, is usually spent and, you know, kind of like a, a desired amount you feel like you're comfortable with for the end of the season, like the last three weeks or month or so.
1: Um, I have just a simple one that I had used until last year. So we'll go with my normal one. And then if we have any kind of jacked up season like last year, I'll discuss it. But normally I give half of it is I call like my play money. It goes to... um. Any rookies that are called up, anyone I think that's going to help my team, they get that much money. And then the rest of it, since there's 26 weeks, sometimes 25, I give 2% each week, either two bucks or $20, depending on whatever league you're in to stream and try to improve for that week. So I'll accept not getting some players with that streaming money and maybe I can run it into next week. But at the end of the year, many leagues I've ended up pulling off the win at the end by having that forty bucks over the last two weeks just to get the players I want, to fill in my needs, to stop the other teams from doing what they're doing. A lot of times it's um picking up saves when I don't need them because some guy's way ahead and he's dropping them, but another team needs them and I can grab that. So just having that money set aside every week and especially at the end, when some teams are having like, you know, they've got five dollars and you're like, all right, I can just get who I want. And right. um, that, that's my big key. And then that other 500, I, I just know not to cut into that. Like once that play money's done, I'm done with that. Now last year we only had, it was something like nine weeks of fab. I just gave myself 10% each week and went to town. And then I kind of, it It was just like, we were, I had a hundred some dollars every week, just, just spend it what I can. And figured out the next week. I mean, at some points I might've went over a little bit or a little bit under, but last year I just try to stay around that 10% every week and um, improve my team where I could. Got
2: it. Yeah, I do about the same. I usually keep about 15, 20 bucks per week um, because I know on on some teams when I get desperate, I'll talk a little bit about this later, um, I can get desperate and I, I end up streaming eight, nine hitters and three, four pitchers. Um, changing 10, 11 guys every week. So I want at least a buck for each guy. Um, and then sometimes I want to go two, three, four if, if I really like someone. So, and then w- with the 500, one thing I found is usually I only did this for Jeff, might have better data um, on this than, than me. But um, I found that once you realize that a guy is worth over, I think, 30 or 40 bucks in fab in a normal year. Whether he goes for two hundred or, or for forty, um, in terms of performance, he's he he's not better. Um, so you're better off taking with that 500, 10, 15 shots at guys in the in the 30, 40 range, than taking one shot at the at the two fifty guy, or I guess two shots at two 200, two 250 guy, because um, stuff happens, injuries happen. Um, if you're bidding two fifty on a closer, he can blow on the, the next save and then he loses the job and you're done, or he can get traded at the deadline and end up as a setup guy. So um I'd rather take multiple shots. I'll rarely, I'll, in, in some cases I'll go, I'll go up to 100, 120, 140, maybe um, if there's a guy I really like, especially for a pitcher, but I'll rarely go, go more than that on, on any fab in a normal year. And last year I went higher than that. In some cases, but in a normal year, in a normal year, I, I, I keep my bids uh, a lot lower and, and hope that I get the guys I want. And some, and sometimes guys will fall through and you'll get the guy you want for 40 and you'll go for 100 plus in other leagues. Um, yeah right. I, do
0: it. And I think it's a good point that you made with um spending a lot of money on maybe a position that like closers that you know it's extremely volatile so you have to be pretty sure that he's going to be the guy for the rest of the year because like you said one one two blown saves and done and at 250 just went to absolutely nothing toward your team
2: and there's 23 spots on the roster so even if, if there if there's a guy who who's awesome who comes up in fab um and you upgrade in in one of those spots, it's usually not a game changer. But if you can make $40 bids on, and, and, and say out of those 12 guys, there's five that you keep, you're you going to keep on your roster for the rest of the year, it's five smaller upgrades. And that, that can usually make up and, and be worth a lot more than, um, than, than that, that bigger bid. Got it.
1: The one thing I would also say is like early on, especially this year, it was the same way last year, is you might be a little, I mean, I would say quite aggressive to begin with because that's where you're like breakouts are going to happen. You're going to know them in the first month. Very few breakouts happen as the season goes on. We don't know where the talent changes are. Like Lucas Giolito was um, the one a couple of years ago where I even know I bid on him like, Oh, he's looking good. And I was just kind of down. like, no, I should have just got him. Cause if there's going to be a breakout, we're going to be known with that. I think like Kevin Gosman was that way with quite a few people last year where it's just like, you just, you can't be messing around early on. I think a lot of people are a little bit conservative then. And I think that's the time to like, you get them for the whole year. This is when the talent change is going to be known. It's not going to be like mid season. They're going to learn how to, you know, get a new swing. Maybe there's going to be one person, but there's more likely to have 10 or 20 of them here at the beginning of the year.
2: Especially for starters. I mean, last year for me, the two game changers were Gosman and Valdez who I I picked both of them up in I think five of my six mains um, within the first two weeks, I think Gosman actually drafted everywhere, then dropped them and then picked them up again. Cause I knew I made a mistake the following week, but um, and then rest of the year, I didn't see that many starters come up on fab. So I, I knew like, especially cause it was short season, I was more aggressive early, but those two guys, it was for me, at least it was pretty obvious early that there was a, some type of skill chain that, that they could be, uh, they obviously did better than they expected, but yeah, um, they were the two guys that came up early that, that I thought could make a difference. And it's like, when there's a, when you have a chance of getting a starting pitcher that you think can make a difference, um, it, it's worth bidding up for him.
0: Right. And if that's something that you can use like rest of the season, um, I guess like a projection for, to try to determine that as long with, like along with the skills that you're seeing to like determine if you really want to go up to like a higher
2: bid. Yeah. I mean, Fran Bravalde's last year, I think when I picked him up, Steamer had him project for like a 3.80 or something like that. And then Christian Javier was available, I think the same week or the week before, and his projection was like 4.5. And despite that, Valdez was going for, I want to say around 50 bucks, and Javier was going for 150, 200, just because of one start. Um, And I mean, Steamer uses years of minor league data to come up with that projection, so... Uh, right. Instead of looking at one start, I I sort of trusted Steamer on that, and Javier was fine, but um, Valdez was, was made it made a big difference on on all my teams.
0: Right, make total sense. Now working in tandem with with Fab, um, just wondering like the point of the season where you like you need to really identify what what your team might be falling short in and as compared to the rest of the league and how, you know, how to try to make up those categories. Is it like right off the, right off the bat in the first couple of weeks, or do you take a more of like a month to really, you know, let stats normalize or, or when do you try to attack things?
1: Um, The answer, I think Todd Zola or Ron Chandler ran the numbers. They looked back at a bunch of historic leagues at two months. Things are pretty known. The problem is, is once they're known, you're not going to change them a lot. So the one thing I do is look at is if I'm behind in a category or if something's going wrong, is it because my players are slumping or um, am I just devoid of not getting the steals? Um, did someone I think that was going to steal, like maybe Garrett Hampson last year, you were all over him and you thought he was going to get your steals and he's not playing like – well, I need to go find or take chances whenever I see anyone coming up. Or is it just like that year with like Jose Ramirez when he was batting? I don't know. One, one ten. I don't, it was ridiculous. Yeah. I remember I had him on a team and I was like, is it worth starting him? I know he's hurting, but it's like, this is why my batting average is horrible because I was expecting, you know, 280 out of him and I'm getting nothing. But it was like, well, at least he's stealing at the time. is why I kept him in. But I think you kind of have to start looking at why you're not competing in one. And seeing if you need to start making some changes there and if you're lucky to be in like a trading league that's usually the best because you might um always in tout wars usually about halfway through the season or a third of the way i'm like i'm hurting rbis and runs and i just go find the other there's another owner that's the opposite and we just make a trade you know it's like i'll trade you my run guy for your rbi guy and everyone's kind of happy then
2: right Makes sense usually after a month i'll start paying attention um for haters i usually trust the process i'll if I'm, I don't know, last in steals and first in home runs, then after a month I'll start when I'm streaming guys in fab, if I have two guys that are close, I'll pick up the guy with more steals. And usually with five months, you can sort of make it up that way. Uh, just by an extra, I guess, by taking the guy who's projected for 15 steals instead of two. Um, if you do that every week, you're going to, I mean, you're going to make it up at some point. Um, the biggest one for me that I usually end up doing, and that's probably just because of the way I draft my teams, and it's probably a weakness of mine, um, last year, usually last year was quicker, usually it's after two months, but last year, uh, in one of my mains, after four weeks, I decided to punt ER and whip, um, just because the way everything looked, um, I was... I was, just, I mean, I, I had Strasburg on my team that I lost, and Walter Rodriguez, my SP3, I lost him. I think I had Maeda, and that was pretty much it as my starter. So I knew my, my starters were garbage. There was no way to make it up. So um, when I say uh, punt, ER, and whip, I mean, I'll keep my two closers, my two, three decent starters, and then the other four or five spots, I'll stream every week, look for two start pitchers. And then when I do that, it means I don't have to keep any pitchers on my bench. So I'll use my seven bench spots uh, to stream hitters and just go crazy with streaming hitters. Um, So that's what I was talking about keeping those dollars to be able to do that. Um, And then when I, when you have seven bench spots, to stream hitters, you can make sure that you pick up guys who play four games Monday to Thursday who play in Baltimore on the weekend um, and you can mix and match guys that way. And one of my mains, I won that, that's one of the ones I won. Um, It was a, bit of a weaker main it it turned out so uh, but you can win leagues um, or at least cash in leagues even though even if you only get two or three points in er and two or three points in whip because uh, by doing this strategy you're maximizing hitting you can be pretty much at the top of all hitting categories and then by stream pitchers you should be near the top in k's above average and wins so if you're if your closes are good you, you can get Ten to fifteen points in pretty much every category, um, and make up for that. That two or three points in in ER in whip, and you you can cash. in. in a main, sometimes if you're doing four or five leagues, just getting that seventeen hundred back for for your bankroll is is worth it. Um, I mean, you don't do that on every team, but usually after two months, if you've lost your ace and your SP three and four, you know you're not you're not going to find. You know, you know you're not going to magically find four starters on five that can that you can start every week. So um, that's where I look for extreme strategies like this, and it, it's worked in the past for me to, to at least cash and sometimes win win like last year. Got it. Yeah.
1: I'm kind of with him. Like I did that in one league last year where I, I had to play. I mean, I passed the innings barely, but I, I actually went the opposite way because I had some – I was okay with the wins and strikeouts but I just pounded the closers at the end to move up in saves and my ratios and actually ended up winning the league also. So it's, wow. it's, it's kind of, I think the one thing with um with saves and fab is you should always, even if you're safe, still have a spot that you're grinding for them. Cause you could lose your closers at any time and you just, it's better to be a week ahead or two weeks ahead in the long season, trying to, find those closers to be than just spending a ton, you know, it's happened to lose your closer and everyone's picking the backup for a hundred and some plus fab when you could have gotten him for five the week before. Got it.
2: Yeah, Yeah, In a normal season it's easier easier to do last year with all the cancellations you have to, I mean, I I use five or six bench spots every week for hitters because I don't want to get caught up with, with zeros, but in a normal, yeah, I have maybe two or three bench hitters, Actually, usually two bench hitters, four starters, and then always keep one spot for um, a middle reliever that you can plug in if if your if a starter gets hurt the last minute or something, or um, and you're hoping that he he comes up he comes up with the with the closer job within within a few weeks.
0: Got it. Make total sense. Um, next thing I wanted to talk about is batter splits um, versus right-handed pitchers, left-handed pitchers. And, you know, um, you know, using that to identify possible, uh, you know, at bats or plate appearances that might suffer from the big disparity in them. Um, And I just wanted to know if, you know, how much you guys factor this into when you're evaluating a hitter, especially like in a, in a, in in like a draft and hold league where you can't make any fabs. And um, yeah. So how do you go about preparing for that? And also too, if you, and maybe you could throw out a guy or two at the end of your argument um to you know that maybe you feel like is at risk this year for because of his splits
2: i'll never look at splits <laughs> <laughs> no i think they take so long to stabilize your focusing too much on what happened the previous year when it probably doesn't mean anything. Um, I think i read an article, some, there's somewhere out there where it says it takes about a thousand plate appearances against both left-handed pitchers and right-handed pitchers to stabilize your, your splits. Um, usually, I mean, you know, you know, lefties are weaker against lefties and that that's the biggest, um, disadvantage. So, uh, but, so obviously that ha- what, what I mean. I like, don't pay attention to them. I mean, whether a player is better or worse against whether a left-handed hitter is was better or worse against left-handed pitchers the previous year or the previous two years doesn't mean anything. Um, on averages, they'll usually regress to to the average um, split. Um, so I'll rarely pay attention attention to it. Um, actually, I'll never pay attention to it. It it means more in terms of what teams intend to do. And you know that by looking at, at lineups from the year before, um, like, you, you know, which, te- which teams play their play, which left-handed hitters based, based on lineups. And that's all that matters plate appearances rather than, than skill, um, in itself.
0: Just Jeff, what do you have to say about that? Um,
1: I do. I run it in a small amount. I had, um, every year I run like projection, um, Stats that I found that outperform projections and it's just the people with um, there's some split issues, like they just kind of underperform and it might just be from them sitting a lot. Like Phil was saying, like you're just kind of watching the at bats. So that's one thing I I do keep it um, like available for drafting. I do see a lot of people. um, How do I want to say like kind of overvalue it and especially like in draft and holds someone like Choi I see him usually going after around like 30 when there's just no other hitters. And I know he's going to sit some weeks, but there's also going to be those, especially in the NFC, when you're going to have the three games where he's going to face three righties and you can stick him in. Like He's an automatic play at that point. So I think sometimes it gets overblown and if you can um, take advantage of it, or he's a guy that's just amazing to stream during season. Like I said, if there's like a 31 spot, I think he would always be on my team just to kind of sit out there and stick him in when he needs to um but it's really important to watch it in season you'll see these guys come in and out of it um two years ago i noticed when Marcana quit he was they quit platooning him and he just took off like his stats did and um i remember like it was like a month later like oh it's happening it's like no that i mean people started noticing yeah and i was like i already had him everywhere i mean it's just it's it's Go to baseball reference. If you do one thing every week that could help you is go to baseball reference and look at the lineups pages and see what's changed. I know I write about it and some weeks. It doesn't get written. I try to, but that's the one thing that can help you the most in season. Um, finding out who's playing, who's not, especially like the guys that get into platoons that saves so much.
0: Right. I think that's a great, that's a great tip for I mean, season, in season maneuvering. Yeah. Um,
2: well, one example, um, Brandon Lau, um, he's known, I guess, as a guy, if you look at his splits, his WRC plus against lefties is 128 and against righties is 132. Um, so he's seen as a, as a lefty who is, who hits lefties well. But if he starts the year, um, no matter whether he's struggling against or lefties, lefties or righties, if he's just struggling overall, the first thing they're going to do, they're going to sit him against lefties. So, um, it doesn't matter that in his, I guess it's uh, let me look it up. It is one sixty-two plate appearances, plate appearances against lefties in the past three years. It doesn't matter that he's done well. Um, if he's struggling, if he's on a cold streak or whatever, they're gonna sit him against lefties. It's the first thing they're gonna do. So in my rankings, I always bump down um, left-handed hitters because, like Jeff said, I think they're overvalued. But I think it's more of a general, um, a general overvalue um compared to um i guess specific splits for for hitters at least that's what i found maybe maybe there's something else but um that's the way i've done it
1: yeah in season also there's some players like um david Dahl. like when he just if he's if he was on the road i guess now it's even worse but it was like he was on the road against a lefty he was just completely unplayable even if he was playing so it's one of these deals it's sometimes I actually don't run the numbers myself. I think you do, Phil, but I just pay the 20 bucks and Rasball does it all for me every week. Sometimes it's off a little bit, like you'll have to go in and there'll be some changes with the pitcher. Rudy does as much as he can, but I mean, MLB changes quite a bit, but it goes ahead and checks all the splints and splits and finds them for you and tells you who to go. So it just saves me a ton of time. It's like I said, it's the best 20 bucks I spend every year.
0: Yeah, I just spent that um, this past week, so I'm excited to use it this year. But I, I don't have that ability either, like all the time like Phil does to... Uh, <laughs> if I'd, I'd found
2: anything. Rasball before I, I did my whole thing, I, I would have used that. Uh, but once my whole thing was built up, I mean, I'll, I'll just use the way I do it. <laughs> but it was a pain to do.
1: <laughs> I mean, I started doing that, and it was like some point. I think Rob Silver pointed it out to me. I'm like, oh, just take my money, dude. It's like... <laughs> The hours saved on it is just, it's like, but like I said, it's, um, Rudy should probably charge more. And now we probably will, but I've got already got mine for this year. So I'll have to pay more next year if he bumps it up.
0: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Fantastic. I'm looking forward to that too. I heard nothing but good things about using that, um, in season. Um, so I wanted to ask you guys, um, Couple questions on draft champions or you know, draft and hold. I know Phil, you just did a whole episode with Brian Seymour on the fantasy baseball exclusive on talking about your split, just a batter and batter and hitter breakdown. You know, how many batters are you going for and how many pitches are you going for with the 50 50 man rosters?
2: Yeah. Um basically I my my strategy, like I told Brian, I go I got a couple usually I go pocket aces. Then I get a couple of closers, maybe one or two more starters in there when I see the values right. And then I just wait forever and load up on on old, boring starters in the last 20, 25 rounds. Um, give me all the Alex Cobb, the Rick Porcello um, guys that I'm pretty sure are going to get a, a job, start 25 games, and then hope that two or three of them turn into Adam in right last year. Um, and then that's usually enough compared to paired with my aces and then the other guys i'll I'll stream two-star pitchers um and it's worked well for me just because i don't know i don't know hitting prospects it's not my thing so um i have no idea who might be called up in a month who's good um so rather than than the waste picks guessing on those guys i'll just get the the old guys that i know are going to start and then hope that uh, with the volume that i'm right two or three times out of 20 and it's usually enough to, to get a decent um, decent starters.
0: I think that's good that you mentioned like you play to your strength you know you, you if you don't know how to prospect for a hitter or for minor league guys or the next man up you know you you use that to develop a strategy that works for you so I think that, that I think that's good in, in really understanding you know how how you are as um, as a fantasy player um what about now for positional minimums phil do you look for any for like catchers outfielders are you looking to hit a certain threshold of of players at each spot
2: um for catchers i usually get two early ones um and then i get a third one late usually three is enough when i have two good ones um and then for for i usually end up with i guess uh Probably 23, 24 hitters. Uh, just cause my hitters are better. My pitchers are pitchers usually suck, so I want to get more of them, uh, as many of them as possible. Um, so usually with with 23 hitters um, with some multi-position guys, I'll try and get uh, probably three guys at every position, and then nine outfielders. Um, if I can get four, then great. With the with the multi-position, this series probably going to be easier uh, to do that because there's a lot of them. Um, but yeah, usually that that's enough for. you. Yeah, I, I know most people end up getting four or five catchers, but since I, since I want to keep as many spots open for for starters late in the draft, and I, I try to get some better ones so that I only have to get a, a third one, um, rather than, than waste spots on four or five of them.
0: Right, I just did that in a recent um, two recent DCs where I just got two catchers. Um, within the first twelve rounds, either Ramudo Contreras or I want Contreras Nola in one league, just to, like you said, I know I wanted to dig later for some more pitching, so I wanted to keep a couple spots open for that. And I think that's an interesting split because I think the majority of people probably feel would feel more um, would feel uncomfortable drafting um, that least least amount of hitters. So that's an interesting attack you have there.
2: I mean, because it, it depends how good they are, but if you're getting. If you're getting 20, 22 hitters in the first, I don't know, 28 rounds, um, you don't have to get any more. Like the the reason people want 27, 28 hitters is if you're only getting 14, 15, 16 with regular playing time um, with your other 11, 12, you have maybe a 50% chance that they're going to end up with decent playing time. So that's why you need more. But if you're getting better hitters, um, I mean, it's, it's the basic thing. Like in a main, if you get, Three middle infielders, middle infielders early. Then you wait for your for your fourth one. You get it in in the last few rounds. So you played it to the strength of your team, where where your strengths are, you get uh, fewer backups, and, and the opposite if where your weaknesses are, you get more guys and hope that one or two of them hit. So that that's what I'm doing with the with the hitter with the hitters and pitchers. It's just more extreme than, than most uh, than most people usually do.
0: Got it. And Jeff, what about you? How what kind of split are you targeting?
1: Um, I actually. Bill was doing it before me because last year I went, I had two teams that just dominated. I mean, one had 147 points out of 150. Oh, wow. <laughs> and it's actually the same oh. drafting with the people from the industry. I mean, and I, I won another one, and then two of them were just, I think I got 13th in both. It was just horrendous. So I went back and it's at Rotographs. So I looked down like what the breakdown was, and basically, um I just came up with just a s- simple strategy of, and like I said, it sounds so much like Phil's, where it's two high end starters, two high end closers, 24 hitters before round 30. I just could not find any hitters after round 30. So I have to pick them before then and then just pick two pitcher deals is what I called in between then. So I was only going to have six pitchers by round 30. And then pound pitching after that and possibly pick up an outfielder or like, Okay, catcher handcuff. Like if there's, um, if I ever end up with Alfaro, I like picking up Wallach out of uh, Miami. It's like well, if he fails, the other one's going to take over. So I might get one of those late that it's not going to matter to someone else. But as a whole, no, I'm just. It's almost just exactly like Phil's, um, thing where it's just like I just can't find hitters after that point. And um, in one draft, we had a guy that just was going the whole hit approach didn't pick any pitchers and it was even ran out faster. So I kind of wonder if there's like a percentage I kind of need to look at. Like I can't even pick my pitchers until, you know, if, if the hitters are going at a certain route, I just have to keep pounding them. So um the one other thing that a lot of people I try to do is actually pick up good multi-position eligible players. So I know that I'm playing them every week. Like I'm not taking Merrifield out, but I can move them around. But if I end up with someone like, um, Nico Goodrum, he may play this week. He may not. It's kind of iffy. So I'm not actually using his flexibility to the most. So I'll actually pay up um, a lot of times for those position eligible players that are um that I know I'm not going to take out of my lineup every week. Yeah, yeah I think, the other advantage,
2: yeah. the the other advantage when you grab like a Whitmerfield early is or even Bellinger um is the the in draft advantage where when you get to round 20 and you realize okay there's in this case there's more there's sometimes there's more there's more second baseman um it just basically doubles the number of guys that you can target at that point um because you can you can move him in either spot in um within i guess before the season starts and in season but uh if you if you want three or four guys at each position then um it gives you more uh more flexibility with it within the draft itself, and I find e- I find it much easier to draft the later rounds. So if you have two, three multi-position guys, um, you have the entire um, draft pool open late in the draft, rather than having to stick to okay, I need a second baseman. The, the best one is this guy, and I don't want him at all. Um, it's it makes it easier w- within the draft itself.
0: Makes absolute sense. Love it. Um, what about um, you guys? mess around with targets for statistics at all, like the innings pitched or uh, plate appearances, home runs, deals, or is that just like a fun exercise to do and not really useful?
1: I'll try to balance it now, but with a draft and hold, it's such a pain in the butt. Right. <laughs> well, we don't know who's going to play where I had one team. I mean, earlier on, it might be dead in the water right now because of everyone that the Padres have added since I drafted the team. Um, just i don't the playing time's just going to be down so i'm with these i'm trying to get as many stats as i can and i complete and i'll try to be balanced i'm not going to completely dump steals but i will understand that if the steals aren't there i'm it's a draft and hold everyone's going to have problems is i just want to try to do the best i can in every category and just go with it that way
2: yeah, I, I try to be balanced, but I don't really look at the at actual numbers because you can you can make up numbers all you want. Like you can say I want to be 80th percentile and you can boost up all your projections and, and you're going to reach that goal. Um, it all depends on if, if you're using steamer, you're never going to get the 80th percentile unless you, um, I guess, it, readjust playing time or whatever um so the, the specific numbers i don't really pay, pay attention to i try to be balanced the only number i kind of look at um is for saves um just because when when you're drafting i want to see if i'm getting two stud closers okay i project them for 60 65 saves where does that put me do i if I'm i want to be 80 percentile and have a shot at the overall do i need a third guy or fourth guy like that can come into saves and and push me up there um that's pretty much the only category. I really look at the the actual number. Um,
1: I wouldn't be surprised if plate appearances won each, every league. Just, and same with, like, innings in some way, where it's just, like, you just got the players that were in the lineup the most and got the counting stats that
0: way.
2: Yeah, yeah, I, th- I think that's really true. Unlike, other than, than Rob, who somehow won with <laughs> no plate appearances. Um, <laughs> 24th, 2400
0: out of uh, 4,200. And yep. in plate appearances <laughs> some some crazy efficiency at the bat
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: oh. yeah that was wild um all right i got some i got some adp would you rather some you know some quick hitters maybe um so we'll, we'll start off with third baseman um first this is looking at um with the nfbc draft champions adp and there's a little cluster of third basemen here and i'm just wondering. Which guy you like the most out of Matt Chapman, Tommy Edmund, Cabrian Hayes, and Chris Bryant? God, none of them. Um,
1: <laughs> I've screwed up if they're my choices. Um, it'd be Edmund, and I'm putting him at second base since he's qualified everywhere. Um, I j- j- just, it'd be Edmund, Hayes, God, I don't even care otherwise. Um, Chapman, Bryant. I'd... Uh, Chapman's coming back from the injury. bryants you can find the profile later. Um, there's the, there's good first base, um, third basemen that are going earlier. Like I said, I kind of want to focus on trying to get one of them. Or, yeah, it'll be Edmund. He looks like he's got the second base job, and with those position eligibilities, you can get some speed. It's easy to find power late. I think he's an easy choice for me.
2: Yeah, for me, it's Edmund. Uh, not, he's not that much of a target, but I just have zero interest in the other three guys. Um but the one thing I, I do like about Edmund is even last he was hitting first or second pretty much every day. Um uh, I think all year actually, first or second all year. Um and then since he plays so many possessions in, in real life for the Cardinals, I last at some point, um, Brad Miller came out of nowhere. And then they had Miller, the young Goldschmidt, Carpenter, and Wang, who all had, I guess, four infield spots in DH, And Edmund was sort of the extra guy. Um, and it sounds kind of dumb that but Brad Miller was hitting well and the other guys were, were hitting decently, uh, unless, like, Carpenter, they didn't want to bench. Um, so Edmund could move, move to the outfield and, and kept playing every day. Um, and if he played only in one position, he might have sat one out of five days or something like that. So um, just the fact that he can play multiple positions gives him an edge in real life. And I think his plate appearances are safer. Um, because of that as well as well as the advantage you get from all those positions and moving around in, in, in fantasy
0: right I totally agree with that as well I just this was more like a this was a selfish question on my end because I'm totally <laughs> skipping these guys too and I just wanted to make sure that I was uh I'm doing the right thing <laughs> 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 so we'll move on to first base um looking at um ADP 96 to about 104 Matt Olson, Alec Baum, Max Munchy Anthony Rizzo and Goldschmidt. Who are you picking out of this bunch? Your turn, Phil.
2: Um, I find Alec Baum, Alec Baum, or I don't know, Baum or Baum, uh, intriguing. Um, one of the reasons is we, we know he he can hit for average. He did last year and he, he did in the minors. Um, he only had four home runs last year, but I think we're, we might be underestimating his power. Um, he's in a good part for right-handed hitters. Um, his max CV was 109.6, which isn't great, but it shows he had, he he at least has some power and probably should have hit more than four home runs. So um, I think because of that that number four, it's scaring people a little bit. But I think he's a 20-25 home run guy with, if he gets regular playing time, which he should. So um, I think the market might be on undervaluing him a little bit, and he he's one guy that I'm I'm kind of intrigued by, uh, and he can play third base too, so uh, that that's a bonus as well.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm passing their first base. There was there's two late groupings I really like. So when I'm trying to find earlier places to buy stuff, it's not going to be with where these first basemen are going. But like I said, with Bomb, he, boom, he has a third base. And like I said, you're getting compared to those other first base third basemen, he's going before then. Um, he's got the extra flexibility. I in you know, a draft and hold, I would take him any day here.
0: Um. Phil, you mentioned. Uh, I just want to act. I wrote this down real quickly. I just want to get you guys um, thoughts on this. When you talk about park factors, what is your go-to source for looking at um, park factors? Or did you come, did come up with something on your own?
2: I made up my own.
0: Uh, <laughs> 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 Stupid question, I guess.
2: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I don't know. I, I sort of got annoyed because I looked at like five different websites and they all had different ones and you had no idea which ones were up to date. Um, Fanatic seemed pretty good, um, but I didn't know how much I could trust it. Uh, so I kind of want to go through the exercise of doing it myself just to understand how they're done and how it would compare with other ones. So I came up with my own and I guess I sort of liked the way they didn't trust it. So I went with that one. And then I compared them with other websites and they weren't crazy. They, they were pretty similar to to some of them. Some, in some cases were different, but um, they, they were in the, in the, in the ballpark of, of other ones. So um, I'm using my own and we'll see what happens. I I think we might make a bigger deal out of it than, than it should be. Um, I, I know it's the argument I use for bone, but, um, it, it's a little bonus, but it's we're talking a couple extra home runs other than the the extreme ones, um, like Yankee Stadium for, for lefties or course, of course. but um, other than that, I, I think it's 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 not that big of a deal.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm on the, it's not that big of a deal, bit that's kind of like like well fan graphs are down, but those are also like for the team, so they're, um, the park factors take into account like the player being on the road, so you should like double it is actually what, it, what they would be. It's, it's just the way that they've done it to kind of equalize everything really quickly. So I'm trying to remember the other one. It actually, they had to quit stat something. They, theirs used to be the best and the guy just, um, the website got shut down. So um, I kind of missed that one. It's really something I just don't take that much into consideration. For like I said, it's more on like when they're on the road, or and also I trust the, um, Derek Cardy that writes that does the bat. I trust Todd Zola with them um, master balls that they know what they're doing and they've already incorporated it into the projections. So I'll just um, they've done it, and I'll, like I said, I, I'm not going to change from what they've done. So I've let them do the work and I'll just um, hopefully reap the benefits.
0: Makes Total sense. All right. We're going to move on to shortstop. There's a little cluster of some late shortstop from 360 to 390 and include Nick Ahmed, Nico Goodrum, JP Crawford, and Jose Iglesias. Who are you guys choosing out of here? Oh, what, what was that? Happened? That was my it's fan
2: tracks. So I
0: think I'm on the clock.
1: Oh, man.
2: Great timing with the question. Um yeah. For me, I don't really like any of these guys. I mean, the my answer is Nico Goodrum because I looked at my system and that's where he's the highest, but there's no really reason for it um, other than playing time, I guess. I think his playing time is probably safest for at least um, – Fangraphs has him, I think, hitting fifth right now, and I don't think the Tigers are going to spend that much money. So if he's playing every day, hitting fifth or sixth, um, he, he – He's, he should uh, be worth his his ADP of I guess it's three seventy around, um, so that that be my choice.
1: Um, I think I'm the same way. It this is actually one where when it comes to the regular draft season, um, I don't have a problem like streaming my um, middle infield and trying to find someone. So this is one I might wait on and I may even start with like Nick Ahmed. He's going to play every day. He's going to put up okay stuff. Nico Goodrum's kind of in the same way. He'll give me some flexibility. I just don't want to like count on that flexibility to form my team. And I like um, any, any place with a waiver wire. I mean, Goodrum could be gone. It's like, we'll find someone like a Dylan Moore that will pop up and I'm going to need to move on. So usually you just can't fill everything. You're going to have something missing and, these guys, I think the order, Ahmed, Goodrum, I might go with Glacius over Crawford, is they're fine for me to plug in there, but I, I know I'm just going to try to be looking to replace them.
2: And to your point, usually those guys, they're usually sword usually stops in second baseman. Usually if you find the guys that are going badly are usually the ones that are good defensively and projected to hit seventh or eighth. Uh, but if they get on a hot streak like Iglesias did last thing, he was hitting like 400. Um, he moved up to first in the lineup and gets a big boost that way. So, um, they're usually the guys since since their they're playing time is safe because they're they're good defensively, and then they have the option to move up if they get in a hot streak, which anyone can get on during a season. And if someone gets hurt, that they might be the guy to move up because they're usually, um, they usually have some speed, so um, you, you'll, you'll teams will usually move move up um, those kinds of guy in the first or, or second spot in the order, um, and that's that's a bonus in season to get th- those extra bats.
1: Yeah, I think it might be Goodrum this year. That might be a nice safe. It, I don't I don't know if Detroit's done. They usually bottom feed right at the end, but I could definitely see him hitting in the top of the lineup there. So he might be a good might be the top pick out of it.
0: Interesting. Like what you guys had to say about that. Um... Next grouping outfielders from 129 to 142 is Dylan Carlson, Ramon Laureano, Will Myers, and Kyle Lewis.
2: None of the above. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's just pick one, fairly. You don't have if to I like
2: that. I'd say um, <laughs> well I I I picked one, but then I saw Jeff said none of the above. So I figured it was it was the right answer. Um <laughs> I I'd say Will Myers. Um, I guess because I'm I'm surprised he's going that late. Um just because we always talk about how we're people are factoring too much last year, but he's one guy who, had, who was great last season, and his ADP is, is still very reasonable. Um, it' great offense. It depends um, if if I guess if Tommy Pham's not healthy, then then Myers is in much better shape because uh, we know we know some guys on that team are going to have to sit. Uh, they have so much depth right now. I'm I'm guessing they're going to have the, the, the NLDH relatively soon so um it'll open up some playing time but um if 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 i knew myers would stay healthy and get regular playing time then i think um he's well worth that uh that draft cost
0: yeah i'm
1: i'm with phil on the none of and you know what the truth is i could get behind these guys if it wasn't for the guys going in like the next 50 picks there's a lot of guys. That's where I end up picking all my outfielders out of, and I just find them. They're really similar to these guys, and I just end up getting the same production later. Like Michael Brantley, he'll probably go up some since he's signed. But um, Antonio Santander, I like him there. Ian Happ, even Victor Robles, I like him better. Randall Gritchik, like all those guys, these they're all the same. So why not get the last one out of the group? That's kind of where I stand with this. The one. If I was to pick one, though, it'd be Dylan Carlson. I think he may be, if he puts everything together like he did toward the end of last year, we could be taking him in like the top six rounds. I think he's got that upside, kind of like Ramon Ramon Lariano was there, and then he just kind of fell back this last year. But I think Dylan Carlson might be able to continue it. So if I was to take one, it'd be him.
0: Yeah, he's the only guy out of that bunch that I have any um, any shares of so far this year. Um, again, might be another selfish question on my end. Just validating how I feel about these outfielders. <laughs> uh, let's move on to the last group here. Some um, five starting pitchers. They include David Price, Andrew Heaney, Dallas Keuchel, John Means, and Drew Smiley. They're bunched together from 200 to 210 ADP. Um, so who do you guys like out of here?
2: Go ahead, Jeff
1: oh god um i have drafted <laughs> i just don't like them i don't it's 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 like i don't see any upside with this group it's price is price and, and maybe he's going to be kind of a contributor but i'm kind of think he put out the same stuff as Keiko. they're both on good teams, so they should get some wins i'm completely out on heaney i think he should be even further down that's actually one that's down john means everyone else loves and he. Even like he's thrown harder, but he got less productive. I don't know what's going on with him. He, It's just the results aren't kind of matching up. So I don't know what kind of some of the stuff he's done. So it's also Baltimore where it's really tough to feel excited about starting him at home or even, you know, like half of his road starts. So, I mean, are you going to start him just a quarter of the time? And then Smiley actually kind of lay out follow with him with like i could see the upside from his little stint last year but he hasn't done it very far so i really this is still like in the 200s where i kind of want to get a picture that's productive so i think i would probably go with keichel then price but um i'm not feeling great about it
2: i'd actually go with andrew heaney um (laughs) i'm (laughs) He's actually had a, over the last three years, he's made uh, 60 starts and his Sierra is under four um, for those. So I know his Sierra hasn't been great, Um, but I do think he has the potential to put everything together. Um, I've said this before that I I usually have like a group of maybe 20 starting pitchers I'm targeting um, 2025. I'm not sure if he's going to make the cut, but if, if one of those guys has a chance to be on one of my teams this year, it's probably him. Um, I think he's getting downgraded, downgraded a bit because of it, of, of the health. Um, but I mean, in 2018 he was healthy. Last year we, he was pretty healthy. Um, 2019 he wasn't, but. Um, I think just because of of the history, he's getting downgraded for health more than he should. Um, So if there's one guy I'm taking, it's probably him, but not with a whole lot of confidence. And the other concern, I guess, is if if the Angels go to six-man rotation, um, a lot of that depends on Otani. Um, I don't know if Otani would be the only one on like a specific... um, pitching day and the others would, would sort of rotate and it, it might not be a true six men rotation but um they're, they're one team that could go to that so that could be a bit of, the, of, a, of a concern for him
0: got it um, i have a little bias to dallas Keiko. he was like one of my most valuable players last year my draft champion but it's still yeah it's a group that it's um doesn't inspire i think a huge amount of upside i think it's just gonna give you what you're gonna what they're gonna give you and um you know you shouldn't ask for more than that from that bunch um all right i have a uh, a question now a hitter and a pitcher going past adp 300 that you think has a chance to vault themselves into top 180p next year
2: For the hitter, I'll say Jock Peterson. Um, I don't know, is he still going past 300? Uh, Just to make sure I'm not. Yeah, it's been brief. It's
1: actually right next to the guy I want to take. Oh,
2: yeah. (laughs) Um, Jock Peterson, uh, with the Dodgers, he was classified as a guy who can't hit lefties, uh, but he's had less than 400 plate appearances in his career against lefties. And as we talked a bit earlier about splits um, for a young guy like. He's still pretty young, uh, like Peterson. I don't trust splits fully. And I think if a team, the team that's gonna pay him in a free agency, um, like the Nats did with Schwarber, um, is with the attention of playing every, every day. And I think young players who get a chance to hit lefties and play every day can improve against lefties. Um so um, and I guess there's two things in this is can he do it? And if he does it, are we gonna believe it? And I think if Peterson puts up a good season, um, we're going to believe it because we we'll can. we see he's different hitter who can now hit lefties and we'll trust it. So he'd go in the top 100 next year. Um, there is guys like if um, Evan Longoria has a great year, he's not going to go in the top 100 or a bunch of other guys going in that range. So that's, that's sort of one, reason, one of the reasons I picked uh, Jock Peterson. Got a pitcher for us too? Um, I'm I'm sort of ashamed to say I'm going to say Matt Boyd, um, <laughs> <laughs> and it kind of ties back into what I said for Peterson. Um, for a pitcher going outside the top, is he still? He's, I'm pretty sure he's still going outside 300. Make sure I'm, I'm not cheating here. Yeah, 338. So, um, yeah. Um, again, if if someone we need a pitcher. Um, who we're gonna believe in if he does it? And Boyd was going pretty high last, I mean he he he's shown um, flashes of of good performance. So if if I think if he puts up a sub four yard this year, um, we're gonna believe in it. And his changeup was solid last year. He just needs to find his slider again. Um, so I mean, he's not necessarily a guy that I I draft that I'm targeting. But at the right price, I think he's intriguing because I think he has the upside. And in this case, if we're, we're looking for a guy who can be in the top 100 next year, I think he he's the one that stands out for me.
0: I like that. And I like that part you made how like um, we were on him before. So it doesn't take much to get people back on like with a little flash of, of brilliance or, you know, just even like you said, on the four ERA. And if he happens to push 200 strikeouts or something like that. So yeah. I like that. Yep. I like that choice. Jeff,
1: Who do you got? I'm going to totally cheat for my pitcher. Um, I'm going to go with Cindergard, or you could go with Severino, or any of the guys with Tommy John surgery. Which is, I, they'll be up there once, once they're going. They're going that late right now. Um, I, I'm almost intrigued in a league where I have IL stints is to pay up for them and then just have this nice little like pitching staff come midseason. I'll have to see what they go for in my my few leagues that have that. But um, that way for hitters um the one moving up i'm gonna take ashpato i think he he was there last year i mean we drafted him that way and he just kind of fell apart and he's kind of got that power speed combination that people will look for um and if he just gets it back together he's gonna get plenty of chances it's not like cleveland's got anything for an outfield right now i think there's two guys walking around out there right now so um They've got like all this infield. Have to, I don't know if they're just going to play like the infield to the outfield and kind of go with like a five-man infield with a two-man outfield and kind of <laughs> do something completely new. But I, no, he, he would even be my check um, choice
0: for moving up. Gotcha. Um, all right. So now I'm going to flip it and take a hater and a pitcher in the top 100 who can take like the biggest free fall. You know, even I'm not going to say out past 300, but who you think in the top 100 will take the biggest hit next year?
2: Um, I mean, I I wanted to come up with a different answer, but I can't, so I'm gonna say Zach Plesac. Um,
0: was <laughs> <laughs> it tied into our last question too? So yeah, yeah, you might as well say all your thoughts about Zach Plesac now.
2: I mean, the, there's like we sort of talked about Kyle Hendricks and Zach Winkler earlier. There is a chance that Plesac is that guy, and that he's in ERA suppressor, and he can beat those ratios and uh, those those uh, his his xFIP and Sierra and put up a three era but um i need to see it for two three full seasons to believe it with please we've seen it for what is the eight starts last year um and even in those eight starts um the numbers look good but um we we've talked about the the three two count stuff before he was lucky uh on three i get lucky or good on on three two counts um and that usually doesn't stay uh stay like that um he also played in central. He's going to be on the Indians, who we just talked about, have no outfield. Um their offense is Hernandez helps a little bit, but their offense is still really bad. So um, I mean, for for me, he's maybe an eight caper nine guy who's not gonna get that many wins. Um, and I mean, Steamer has him at 4.68 ERA. That might be a little extreme, even even for me, but. Um, even if he's a between four and four point two ERA, the case and wins aren't gonna be there. So um it's that the cost is way too high. And I think we he could just really struggle and we can see the same guy that we saw in, in twenty nineteen and um not be uh be outside the top the top three hundred.
0: Yeah, I like it. Yeah, I know Todd Zolo just recently on my show when he was talking about how many days rest he had in between his starts, too. And he's saying once he becomes a normal schedule and he's got to, you know, throw 28-30. He said, like, it's not a red flag, but they're yellow flags. There are a ton of yellow flags. Um, but, yeah. Yeah. Now what about a hitter, Phil?
2: Uh, for the hitter, I mean, the obvious one was Jordan Alvarez for me for health reasons, because with the knees, we don't even know if he's going to play. Um, that um, I'm going to pick another one, though. I, I want to say Kevin Bijo. Um and I actually wrote this before they slang Springer. Um, and I said, what happens if the Jays slang Springer or another hitter? Um, <laughs> so, there we go. <laughs>
0: um,
2: for now, he's still projected to hit second, I think. But we just don't know. Jays are going to move around that lineup. And um, he's not a huge power guy. For I mean, I have him around a 240, 250 hitter, maybe 20 home runs and 15 stolen bases. A lot of his value comes from runs and RBIs being near the top of that lineup and getting all the bats. But um, if – especially the Jays are talking about signing another um, – they're, they're, they're in the running for Colton Wong, for and Simmons, and for – they want to improve that defense. So if they add another guy, um, I'm not convinced B. Joe is going to play every single day like he did last year. And um, I just don't see – if he's hitting seventh, I, I just don't see the value – where he's going, and I think he's more of a guy in the 150 200 range. Um, so 300 might be pushing a little bit, but um, um that that's where I see him,
0: yeah. Because, like you said, you maybe knock away a bunch of runs at all maybe he just becomes like Dylan Moore, you know. Yeah. Who, I mean, who, who from, who just... from a
2: fantasy perspective, I don't see between him and and Profar, for example, I don't see that much of a difference. Like, if you put Profar hitting second on the Jays and playing every day and getting those at bats, um. He's worth as much as BJO, if not more. So, Bijo's value comes from expecting him to hit first or second all year. And that's far from a guarantee with the depth that the Jays have and plan to add in the the next couple of weeks, at least from the rumors that are out there.
0: Right. Makes sense. Jeff, what do you got?
1: Um, With a big honorable mention to Dylan Lamette, that I just think he'll have time (laughs)
0: and
1: just not make it through the season. I mean, he's probably the one that's just like I'm not staying away from. I will go with Max Fried. I think he's really close to just having the same profile as Dallas Keichel, Brad Keller. He got he's got that ground ball rate, his with okay strikeouts, and that's what all of them have. And they just don't put up the, you know, crazy ERA that he lucked into over two months. So I think I think he'll probably fall to like the 250 range, 300's a lot, but that's where those guys go. And they just don't really stay up here. I mean, um, he lost a mile an hour off his velocity. It's just a profile that doesn't deserve this high of a pick. And I'm not even close to taking him where he's going. I mean, him and please actually going before him right now. And yeah, I, I think they'll be both big droppers. I'm going to actually stay with Phil on the Jays. I'm worried about like Teoscar Hernandez, like how that whole thing's going to play out. If he's going to play, who's going to be sitting on that team. There's just not enough bats to go around. And he's really just not, he may be the worst. Well, Mondesi may be the actual worst hitter in like going in the top 100. And if you're just not the best hitter, they're just going to move you down. So, I mean, he he's great for fantasy that he gives you the speed. He gives you home runs some batting average but it's like you just may not be a good enough hitter to maintain that high level with all the extra bats that are going there and the way the Jays seem to want to be even adding more it's even more of a case for him to possibly lose more and more at bats. so I think him and um, Gurriel could also be kind of limited with that bat so it's kind of a risky situation I'm trying to stay away from right now.
2: Teoscar probably bought himself a month or two with the season last year but if he like he's not gonna get, I think it's the case for anyone on that team. If they're struggling after a month, um, they're not gonna get as as good a chance to come out of that slump as, as they did in the past year. So if if Teoscar even for a month is hitting like he did in in the in 2018 or 2019, he's gonna move down the lineup and and he's in, he's in, gonna play every day. So you're right, it's it's the risk for every Jays player. Um, other than probably Bichette and, and Vlad who are pretty locked in, in and Springer who are all we're locked in in the lineup but the, the other guys I think they're they're all risky
1: yeah another one that's not kind of in that same boat now is Grissom mm. he's one that I don't think he'll f- completely fall off the map but he could end up in like a platoon or batting ninth quite a bit and um it's it just like I said it's just not people aren't gonna be getting the production that they hope for
0: I like that. I, I, I feel this, a similar way about Grisham. Uh, every time I see his name, as the next popular uh, next scoop of guys in my draft. And, and I just don't give him any thought, really. So who knows? That may come out to bite me in the butt. But uh, and so, Jeff, we heard um, what Phil had to say about Zach Plisak. What are your thoughts on Zach Plisak this year?
1: Um. It was kind of weird. I thought he was going to be a sleeper for me. I went in and I actually, over the projections, saw some changes I liked and moved them up. And I'm not even close to what the market is. Holy cow. Um, But the deal is, is it just takes one out of 12 or one out of 15 people to have that market up there. And that's where he's at. Um, So I think for him to stay there, there's probably three people out of it. And then there's just because there's people a lot lower doesn't mean it averages out.
2: I mean, it's just
1: Right, it's just like they're still going to take him early and that's still going to happen. So, um, yeah, I kind of just have him like 7th or 8th, you know, should go around the 7th or 8th round. Maybe, um, I'm trying to think who's going around there. Maybe like Pablo Lopez level. Okay. And it's like, it's fine. It's up where he was, but just not where he's currently going. Um, Let me see. I'm actually, sorry, this is great. When I'm actually looking at my rankings right now. Yeah, around the... Kyle Hendricks, Framer Valdez, Zach Wheeler area. And I guess it's up from where he was. It's just not where he's currently going.
2: Yeah. I have him as my SP 53. Um, (laughs) I'm, I'm a little bit extreme and I mean, I have him in the, I guess it's the Chris Bassett, Drew Smiley, um, Zach Eflin range. Um, so it, it might be a little bit too much, but like I said earlier, talk about Hendricks and Grinky. Um, I know our friend Dave is a big fan of Plesak and he's one of the ones that's that's driving up the his draft cost. Uh, taking him, in he had
0: he had that much impact, huh?
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it it only takes a few guys, like you said. Like it's yeah. ADP isn't the average of what we think; it's it's the average of the top guy in every draft. Um, so, um, but that I mean, I, I look back at at my system from the past four years and a guy going around Plesak's, um, a guy that I have ranked with the same score as act has about a 25% chance of beating Plesak's ADP. So, um, wow. which is higher than I thought it would be. So even though I'm like lower than him, lower on act than pretty much everyone else, uh, except maybe Steamer. Um, I, I I mean, if, if you if you saw something and you trust it, um, I mean, there's a 25% chance that he beats his, his ADP. So, um, I mean, it's, it's still pretty high. So if you saw it, you can you can trust him and go ahead and draft him. Um, I mean, my system has worked for me. I trust it, but nothing's perfect. So um, I'm, I won't be drafting, but I can, like I said with, with Hendricks before, I can understand it if, if you saw something and you think he's, he can do what he did last year. Um even my system, which is way against it, says there's there's twenty-five percent chance he he does it. So um yeah.
0: Very good. Yeah,
1: kind of he was actually I, I cannot remember if it was him or Bauer was the luckiest pitchers last year because I actually had him ranked. So um it was just like who they faced, they faced the weakest con um competition, their babips, all their left on base percentages were just completely out of whack with what the historical averages would be and they're just not gonna be able to sustain it like i said i think he made some improvements but it's
0: just not there's nothing going to be close to a repeat i totally agree with that i you know he can that de- you could definitely see the marked improvement made at the pitcher but in terms of where he's being drafted i think it's a little too uh it's, it's nutty um as phil said 53 sp 53 man that's oh that's gonna make some news it's if anyone made it this far into the podcast <laughs> <laughs> oh man awesome so all righty guys i'm not going to take up any more of your time today i really appreciate you guys coming out and um give you guys a little chance to uh, you know plug your work and what you're doing and what you're working on these days
2: uh you can find me on twitter at phil do 27 and then at some point i might have time to do more uh robot is it real segments on uh on this uh great podcast um I've been busy with best ball drafts of late. I had four going on at the same time last week, so um, I'm trying to do more. So I don't know if I'll have time to do, to do more of these segments, but I'll uh, I'll try and at least do a couple more in, in the next uh, few weeks. Um, and then Rob's posting on Twitter, so uh, that's uh, that's where you can find me.
0: Yeah, I know you DM me and you're like, can you slow down with your pod? I haven't had a chance to make a segment. <laughs> 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 don't worry about it. We'll make it up. <laughs> And Jeff, where um, can everyone find you? I know you can find you in a bunch of places, but let them know. Um,
1: Right now, we're just doing the Launch Angle podcast. Usually um, Monday, we're kind of flexible. So that, that's kind of where the time's worked out with uh, me and Van to bring in a guest. And we're trying to get Rob to come back, but he's um, doing his own thing right now. And then um, we're writing at Rotographs, um, just putting out content there. Um The other thing is, is I, I think it's finally out the Lindy's magazine. I actually did the second base, which is kind of a little bit weird because we could only pick one position for players. So it's not a true second base ranking, but I went ahead and did did them. And then I did the starting pitchers also. So my, I know I did a bunch, but they had to cut some down because I was a little wordy. I took up too much space. So I think I have like my top 85 there. Um, But otherwise, yeah, I'm just at Rotographs and mining the news as much as possible it was really weird like this week i have everything in the ale i have no nl stuff so far i've just i don't know what what's what's wrong with the nl right now putting out news but um and then just trying to deep dive into deep pitchers just trying to find wherever i can find an advantage um like we were talking about with the draft and holds it's kind of like well you're gonna have to start picking pitchers later than this 30th round which ones kind of stick out is there any any advantage you can find to those late guys and i've um been going through them
0: Absolutely. I think that that whole um, run of articles that you have been truly, truly beneficial because it, it is a place that you eventually have to start, you know, looking at pictures. And um, I think you asked me, it's like, was that too deep of a run? And I think, no, it's perfect. It, it, it's um it's it, it's a part of the draft that, like, I don't know why, like, it excites me more than other people, I think, from like 30 to 50. Um, <laughs> it's like, I really like to uh, dive into that whole part of the draft. So it's excellent. So, alrighty, guys. Thank you for coming on and um, hopefully we can do it again sometime in the future. Take care, man. That will conclude this episode of the Pull Herder Podcast. Once again, thanks for tuning in. Thank you for all your support so far shown showing to the show. It really means a lot to me. I'm extremely grateful for all the followings and the listens and for all the people that reached out to me and have told me that the show is really benefiting them. For the draft season So again Much appreciative This doesn't happen Without All you Guys and girls Listening to The podcast And helping it out So Once again Truly Truly Thankful Um, Draft season Is warming up So Getting involved With some drafts Start Making some decisions Now So When it starts to matter When you're doing Some home leagues And Some More More higher Expensive leagues Toward the start of the season, that you will be ready for those um, as much as you can. So, alrighty folks, be well to yourselves, don't be a bag of shit.